Did you know that 65% of marketing leaders in APAC view ABM as a crucial part of their marketing spend? And that the emergence of generative AI is transforming the marketing landscape? Want to learn more marketing insights? Well, download the 2023 State of Account-Based Marketing in APAC report with the link in the pod description. You'll have valuable data points and key takeaways all at your fingertips after the single click of the download button. Get your copy now and find out how you can transform your ABM game today. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from X-Growth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X-Growth, and today I'm talking to Susanna Rostevsky, Chief Marketing Officer, Executive Group Marketing at NAB, about the recent MarTech transformation that NAB has gone through. We'll talk about the challenges of the journey, different components of it, and where things are today. On that note, Susanna, thanks a lot for jumping on the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. I'd love to kind of start. I mean, this was, if not the biggest, definitely one of the biggest marketing transformations that has happened in Australia. I'd love to first talk about like what was the motivation behind that and how did it come about um, to uh, to basically what it turned out to be. Yeah. So the motivation for revamping our marketing technology was that it, the current technology stack was not capable of delivering what we needed to do in terms of customer experiences. And the reason why it wasn't capable was because it was very fragmented. I work for a very large organisation um, and the technology had been built over a period of time and different people were adding different bits of technology. So before we knew it, we had this spaghetti tech stack. Um, that really wasn't servicing us in the way that we needed to. Um, So we had to embark on this journey to get one way, same way, and introduce the new tools that we as marketers have access to, um, things like decision engines and customer data platforms, so that we were able to revamp our marketing communication capability. Actually, not even marketing capability, our communication capability um, for now. So can you paint us a little bit of picture of when we talk about a MarTech transformation at NAP, what does that look like? Because, you know, for a lot of people, and they're not working at, at a large organization like NAP, and it's like, hey, we're using Marketo, and, or we're using Eloqua, and we're going to switch to Marketo now. Um, and let's just have some conversations with a couple of salespeople from those companies. And, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Yes, there's a bit of a migration, and boom. Um, that happens. I feel like that the scale of the project might be a little bit hard for some people to understand. Can you, is there a way that you could kind of give us a little bit of a picture? Of what did that mean? Yeah. And yeah, 
it's interesting because there are so many providers for so many components of what a marketing tech stack um, needs. And I think the first challenge is actually to not have conversations with external providers to sit down with the internal teams and understand what are your business requirements um, and, and really simplify that. So take all the technology away and go, what is it that we're actually trying to achieve here? We are trying to achieve personalised communications so that we're able to send the right message at the right time through the right channels um, and the right conversations for our customers. We want to be able to augment the banker relationships by being able to provide, um, you know, preemptive communications to our customers. So, for example, the ability to be able to tell a customer that they may be predisposed to fraudulent activity um, or that they've met their savings goals or that they're, you know, it's time to review their fixed-term deposit. So being really, really clear on what the business requirements are. Do you want real time? Is it okay if it's batch? Um, do you want to be able to on-site um, personalise your website so that if a customer comes on your website, they're seeing something that's relevant to them? Being very clear on your business requirements is the most important thing when you're outlining marketing tech stack. And getting alignment with people in the organisation on that and making sure that the technology lines up with other technologies. So, for instance, we need a data lake. Um, I need to be able to line up with what our data colleagues are preparing from a tech stack perspective. That actually should take a lot of time. I, I feel like um, a number of businesses, whether they're small, large, um, you know, techie, not techie, don't spend enough time up front really documenting what is it that you're actually trying to achieve once you've done that then you can have conversations with a number of suppliers out there um, and work out what capabilities the suppliers have the providers have um, and match that up to your business requirements um, interestingly enough it's also being able to say this is what our future tech stack looks like and not getting swayed by all of the other shiny tools that might come because you know as soon as you land a tech stack, someone wants to add something to it and it's like actually let's just keep it pure. You know, we'll debate, debate, decide, have a tech stack that we're all happy with and then we're going to scale it, embed it, um, manage the whole cultural change around it and not keep changing, which is how it got us into the mess in the first place. Yeah, that's very true. And and I, I feel like that's such an important advice for not allowing the tech to drive the strategy Correct. Uh, and, the, and the business requirements, but but allowing the business requirements to drive what tech is going to come in. And and I think a lot of marketers are in that place that we, you know, we get excited, right? Yeah. It's like, that's, that looks great. Let's bring it in. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll, we'll do the integration. We'll figure that out. <laughs> Um, and before you know it, you're in this this hot mess of uh, of bunch of technology pieces that are in the organization don't know what to do. Um, what what were can, can you talk? You talked about kind of data lake, CD, uh, the the customer um, data platform. Um, what were the main components of the the Martech for NAP? Yeah, so it is as simple and as complex as <laughs> must have a data lake, um, must have a decision engine, 
must have a customer data platform and must have the ability to orchestrate campaign orchestration. Now, there are, you know, other tools around that, but really they are the main pieces and then must be able to pipe in to all of your owned assets. So pipe into your apps, your um, call centres, your banker leads. Um, yeah. And, you know, that sounds really simple when you say it out loud, but, of course, that that in itself has so much complexity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 was this like a, um, you know, I know a lot of organisations also want to mitigate risk. Are these like mainly with one provider? Do you like have a mandate to say, no, 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 we have to have multiple different providers? How does that, how does that work? Yeah, well, look, there's a, there's a healthy tension between, um, you know, relying on just one provider versus relying on a number of um, providers. And you probably want to be somewhere in the middle because if you're relying on one provider, um, you can get too entrenched. And if something happens, then you're kind of a bit stuck. You have to extricate yourself from, you know, one supplier and on everything. Whereas too many suppliers, I think, creates other um, complexity. So what we did when we looked at our marketing tech stack, uh, we, we literally assessed what is the best decision engine? What is the best customer data platform? What is the best campaign orchestration? And, you know, providers are... Um, extending into different areas like there's providers that provide all of those things um but actually you know when you do your assessment we personally found that we chose you know three or four different providers and really went for who is best capable of meeting this part of our business requirements around decisioning and who is best capable of meeting this requirement around um you know on-site personalization capabilities um ad tech capability so that's that's kind of how we approached it and I'm pretty happy with where we've landed because I, I feel like we've, you know, chosen what best suits our business requirements. And it's not a plethora of supplies, but nor is it just one. Got it. Got it. I'd love to also hear from your side when it comes to the the MarTech. NAB is in a um, in a unique position where you both have a direct-to-consumer model, you have a B2B for SMB model, you have, you know, um, institutional banking. So it's a, it's a wide range of different markets and clusters and segments in the, in, the, in the market that you're serving. How did that play a role in uh, the selection of the tech stack and the, and the MarTech uh, setup? Yeah, so it, it, played a role to the extent that there are business-to-business business, um, businesses in our business. <laughs> There's a lot of business. Um, but so you look at NAB and you go, the consumer, it's all about being able to create scale and providing personalised experience to millions and millions of customers. Actually, small business. We don't have enough bankers to be able to service, you know, hundreds and thousands of small businesses so they need a, um, you know, a scalable marketing technology so that we can augment the banker relationships. And then we get into corporate and institutional where um, some of the work that we do with our, you know, data and um, our ability to communicate is on actually providing them with insights around 
aggregate transaction data so that they get an understanding of, you know, their industry um, cash flow looks like this on average and this is how they play, you know, against that. So I strongly believe that B2B marketers, it is just as important that they understand personalisation at scale and use these tools as it is for a consumer. There's other things to navigate, like who is the customer? You know, for a business customer, we have, you know, five or six people attached to account. It could be the bookkeeper, the the lawyer, the owner, the CEO. Um, So there's actually a little bit of complexity around how do you actually attach an account to the experience? Um, And you have to navigate through all of that. But a lot of what we do is for our business and private bank customers, you know, being able to augment the banker relationships is um, hugely, hugely important, particularly since we position ourselves as the relationship bank. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Suzanne, you don't. Uh, I'm going to ask the question, but you know, you you completely feel free to say you know can't can't share information on that stuff. Um, but were there any um, technology pieces that you introduced specifically for that B two B side of the um, the the business? Um, not specifically, but we had to line up to their channels. So, of course, the you know the business banker channels. Um, we needed to link in to the business bank CRM channels. Um, but we're using the same decision engine, the same customer data platform, same ad tech. Um, yeah. Were there challenges? And you know, you you were talking about the 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 best of uh, picking picking the best, and I, and I also love to again, if we can share, love to hear sure. like what what does that tech stack look like? Yeah. But the other question that I also love to ask is, were there you, you know you talked about like best in class technology? Were there did you have to take sacri- make sacrifices based on oh these guys are really good in the B two B space and their data is all like account focused and you know connects all that information together versus these providers are a lot more stronger in the direct to consumer space and we got to make a sacrifice here. Um, any any thoughts on that? Yeah. So it, it actually a lot of the complexity lies in the way we hold our data and how it's, you know, um, put into our data lake and how we can extract that data. So it, the data lake was incredibly important. You know, the suppliers in their data bricks, um, how do we actually create data sets that the marketing community can access or, in fact, anyone in the organisation can access. That's where a lot of the complexity lied um, and that's where some of the differences were with regards to, you know, business bank data versus consumer bank data. Once we got to, um, once we got past the data uplift and optimization, genuinely, and again, remember, it's going to be very dependent on your business requirements. So when I say best, you know, I'm going to let you know who our partners are, but it's best for the requirements that we had. And I can't emphasize enough that, you know, we're actually so incredibly fortunate that we do have copious amounts of suppliers that are able to provide wonderful technology. The secret is to find the ones that suit your business requirements and not get caught up by the shiny tools that you may not naturally need. Um, so for us, you know, we use Adobe for campaign orchestration, Pega for the decision engine, Telium for customer data platform. Um, 
and you know we use them across both our business and consumer channels got it got it that's um that's awesome and and first of all thank you so much for sharing that i know i, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if that's uh if that's okay yeah. to ask but uh i i really appreciate because i think in a lot of situations the first thing that is on people's minds like so what does the tech stack look like and what are the bits yeah. and bits that go in it so really appreciate um you sharing yeah. that i'd love to hear some of the challenges that you went through um i mean this this does not sound like a simple thing and i'm sure it was not a simple thing uh, how long did the transformation take um Suzanne? yeah so so look you know uh three years with uh investment allocated to it probably five years with you know some self-funding um and proving out you know, revenue business cases before that. So let's say five five years. Um, and I guess, you know, a couple of the challenges. First challenge is how do you present the benefits of such a large transformation to an organisation that has got 50 million other things that they need to also do? You know, we are a bank. We, we have, must be compliant. We must make sure our customers are safe. We must protect them from fraud and scams. Um, and, yes, we must communicate, uh, communicate to them. Being able to create a big, big business case but actually then break it down into bits and be able to do bits, prove out that, oh, we're getting something out of actually allocating, you know, some spend to this and then keep going, I think is the most challenging but the best way to approach any technology transformation. If I went in and said to NAB, I need hundreds of millions of dollars to be able to provide a wonderful marketing technology stack so that we could communicate to our customers, I would have got a big fat zero. Good luck, yeah. Um, but if you start with, how do I break this down a bit? Like, how do I improve a little bit of the technology, create a new, you know, some new revenue business cases, new campaigns, um, you know, trialing the PEGA decision engine or at least a model in a manual way so that you can say, look, when you create campaigns and you create some modelling around that and you have a next best conversation, you can increase revenue. That's interesting. Um so I, I refer to it as minimal viable product. Spend the time working out what your business requirements are. Start by dreaming big and document that, but then work out how do you break it up into minimal viable products. Test, be agile, see how you go, try and mitigate risk along the way. Prove out that you're going to get some revenue or cost out or better customer experiences, and then it kind of scales as you progress through that. That's how we we did it at NAB, um, and that works. Got it, got it. I mean, that's um, that that makes sense. I would imagine it was a lot harder than what you just made it sound like. Um, yeah, there, there would have been a lot of a lot of different hoops that uh, one had to go through to get there. But five years is 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 a decent amount of time. Were there? In, in during the implementation uh, phase, was there certain things that kind of came up and you're like, we could have done this better or, you know, we'll definitely learn from this? Is there anything that comes up from, from that phase? Yeah, always. So um, I say context adds 100 points of IQ. You, we're, you know, we operate within a value chain at NAB. 
And you, you have to be very focused on your own, this is what we're looking to achieve with marketing technology. But actually, you also need to understand what's going on in other parts of the business. So one of the things that we found, of course, while we're making these changes, there are other parts of the business that are looking at their CRM systems or, you know, the the app capability or they're updating, you know, the, the NAB Connect, which is our business online um, transactioning um, facility. You really need to be aware of what's going on in the organisation because if I'm setting up pipes to those channels and those channels are t- um, changing, it's going to be a problem if we haven't lined them up in the same way or I've spent money on an old tech, you know, linking into an old system and they're setting up a new system. So um, be very specific with your own business requirements, but then you need to broaden it out and get an understanding of what everyone else is trying to achieve and when things land so that you can minimize wastage and not you know create connections with old technology sitting somewhere else yeah i can imagine because obviously you talked about a three-year timeline for implementation from the start of it to to being implemented but then i i totally understand what you're saying from the angle of like year one you've had a conversation with this department and yeah these are the requirements but guess what in year two and a half they're gonna they're they've yeah. decided to make some changes um and uh, in a large organization, that is uh, that's hard to coordinate. I would imagine there would be a lot of different moving parts. Yeah, and look, you know, we're lucky in this day and age that we have the cloud, and you can create, you know, mini app versions, and things are a little bit more agile. Um, back in the day, where you had to hard code everything, my goodness, trying to do a transformation <laughs> in that environment would um, be pretty hard. Um, so. You know, it, it was hard, but lucky technology has advanced and there is some agility within the system, which is great. And that's actually part of the business requirements. Like you have to be able to move if, if things do change somewhere else. Um, that's interesting. That's to understand. Right. So, so that you, you had put that in the requirements that this is something that we need to keep in mind and, and need to accommodate for those changes to other um other other departments and other um, uh, kind of business units. Yeah, uh, look, you know, I'll, I'll I'll vomit at any mention of hard coding. <laughs> <laughs> hard coding and hybrid. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, actually, yeah, actually hard coding. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> last last question I want to ask before we jump into to some rapid fire questions is, what is next for NAP? So so you you've gone through this transformation what's in the horizon now i mean obviously you think five years ahead um as you did with this uh, with this transformation what is what is coming that you can share yeah so i mean we've got this marketing technology stack we want to um embed it scale it but now what i've done is i've created a well, we as a team collectively have created this marketing technology um, technology stack that's moved us from 50 million personalised experiences to 500 million personalised experiences. Now, guess what? We're going to need creative solutions for that, um, which means Gen AI comes into perfect timing. You know, couldn't have planned it better myself. <laughs> we now have access to Gen AI tools that are, you know, going to be able to deliver content um, much faster, more scalable. So uh, we're currently doing some testing on Gen AI. Can it produce content? Um, can it produce basic creative for, you know, the plethora of emails that we're augmenting our relationship 
you know, relationships and customer experiences with. Um, we're working through that. But, you know, I have to put money where my mouth is. Like I, I sort of started this journey with one of the reasons why we got here was because um, everyone was creating their own tech stacks um, and it got really fragmented. So actually now we have to protect it and make sure it doesn't get fragmented again. Mm. Now be open and agile and think about what, what needs to, you know, change, but let's not make changes for the sake of making changes because it's just hugely, hugely complex. And I think we should just make sure now we sit down and understand how do you use this technology to better the relationships with our customers, which is the first and final reason why we actually did all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You touched on Gen AI. What are, I mean, as a, as a bank, um, I would imagine there are certain concerns yeah. with the, with the LLM models that are out there. What are some of the concerns that are on your radar for, for leveraging? Um, yeah. Gen AI? Yeah. And look, Gen AI is an extension of AI and we've been using machine learning for many, 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 many years. Um, so we're always concerned about um, privacy, ethics, um, data protection, and I don't think those three things will change. Gen AI, Gen AI is the same the same issues that we've got to just make sure that we're protecting our customers' data, making sure it's de-identified, never getting it into the hands of anyone that shouldn't be receiving it will always be number one importance. The ethics of it is interesting, and that's more around, like when you think about it, this is collecting data that's historical data that you're using to... Um, you know, predict future or, or communicate um, to future customers. So within that, you know, let's make sure that there's no bias um, in previous data. Um, you know, there was interesting stuff that was sort of going on where they found that um, in the States when they were, you know, calling for stock shots, they were all Anglo-Saxon <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, of males. I was like, okay, well, that's a problem. That's an ethical challenge and it doesn't represent diversity. So there will always be humans that need to come in and just sense check. Um, and it's the humans that are prompting Gen AI. So what are we prompting them with? And I think we need to navigate through that. So I'm not fearful and I think we will need to, just like we've adapted to everything else that's been presented to us, we will adapt to Gen AI. But go in and, again, you know, minimal viable products, test for ethics, test for privacy um, and test for, you know, allow for human intervention. We'll work our way through it. Are you struggling with your campaigns? Maybe they're not performing as well as you thought they would. Well, luckily for you, the team at Xgrowth have nailed the art of account-based marketing. So if you'd like to know more about how you can hop on the ABM train, book a free consultation with the account-based marketing experts at Xgrowth to help you get started with your ABM journey today. Let's do some rapid-fire questions. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I want to jump into the first one. So first question I have is what is one resource? This could be a book, a blog, a podcast, a talk that you, you've come across that has had a profound impact on the way you work or live. Um, I think 
of System 1 and System 2 thinking. So um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel, I can't pronounce his, Daniel Kahneman. I love, I mean, the psychology of people is fascinating for any marketer, I'm sure. Um, We assume people make rational decisions. This book is a very good one to remind you that we're not always making rational decisions. Almost never. (laughs) Almost never. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it is a great book. It is a great book. Which is um, a reminder, we've spent most of this podcast talking about marketing technology, but goodness, you know, if there's one thing I'll be focusing on more than ever, it's um, brilliant, brilliant creative that, you know, ignites emotional primacy. Question number two, if you could give one advice to to, to marketers, what would it be? Um, to marketers, goodness, uh, remain curious and open-minded, um, you know, and with that comes there's this, you must continuously learn in our industry. If I think about, goodness, I've been in the the marketing game for 30 years, I can guarantee you that, you know, my degree was quite useful when it came to the frameworks of marketing, but there was none of it. You know, how do you set up a website? <laughs> how do you do with all the digital <laughs> Remain curious, continuous learning, um, and never assume you know it all because you don't. <laughs> That's very true. That's so important. Um, who are Susanna, Who are some of the influencers or kind of thought leaders that you follow, whether it's in B2B marketing, direct to consumer marketing? Um, who, who are some of the names that, that come to mind? Oh, look, I mean, you know, um, my one of my favorites is Mark Ritson, <laughs> who's generally quite fun and sometimes controversial on all things marketing so I thoroughly enjoy enjoy reading his um his work and his commentary um I think Seth Godden is someone that I follow like what he does and actually James Herman who wrote a book on the case for creativity um he's got some great thinking too and you know that's probably for the next the next podcast too <laughs> it's all yes. about creativity I'm making I'm making copious amount of note um, here, uh, and I'll have to look up uh, James Herman uh, yeah. as well. Okay, thank you, thank you so much for that. Last question: Yeah, what's something that excites you about? Uh, well, I usually ask this question. I ask, what's something excites you about B two B marketing? But I know that you focus on both um b2b and b2c so i'm going to make maybe make that a little bit more generic and ask what is something that excites you about marketing today i just think we have access to tools i mean the holy grail is being able to send the right message to the right customers at the right time we have access to the technology to do that and we can do that at incredible scale Um, So, you know, I'm excited about being able to create beautiful customer experiences um, that genuinely help our customers get on with their financial well-being and all of their objectives. Um, That's what I'm excited about. Susanna, this has been an awesome conversation. I want to just say thank you for coming on the podcast. I want to say thank you for, for being so open. Uh, to be honest, um, uh, you, uh, uh, we've had guests who are from large organizations, and and sometimes it's very hard to share. And uh, I feel like you just you were so open about uh, a lot of the 
challenges and issues and so on and so forth. So just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to spend time with you. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywell and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.